Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right, folks, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. It's always a pleasure to be here with you on this fine Thursday afternoon. Hope everybody's having a great day. We're going to have some good uh, show for you today. We're going to um, carry over from our last show. If anybody's been following and listening to the shows over the last couple of weeks, uh, I've been talking about a few interesting topics, one of them being trauma. So last week I talked about trauma and really how do we approach trauma? There's different things that we think about. Um, when it comes to trauma, when we hear the word, we know that uh, sometimes we have an event in our life or something happened where we feel very shocked or we feel very scared or we say, man, that was traumatic. Um, but usually when we talk about trauma, we, we refer to a discrete event. And what I'm really talking about is trauma that happens over time, trauma where um, from our childhood we're experiencing certain things that we know don't feel good or, or aren't uh, very good for us, but we don't know how to express it because we're children and because we're young and because people always say, oh, children are resilient. You know, parents get a divorce, um, something happens in our life, we lose a parent, and somehow, you know, they say, gosh, the kids bounce back. But what I do notice and what I realize, especially in, in therapy and treatment, is that that's kind of what we talk about as adults. We talk a lot about what I experienced as a kid, what I experienced in my childhood, and how it's affecting me now in my adult life. But before we get started with that, um, we want to start with our angels. Let's start with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ, let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may, by his passion and cross, be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke and we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl around the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, before we get started on today's show, I just want to make a couple of announcements because it actually ties in very nicely. Like I said, if you tuned in last week or if you want to go back and listen to the show, uh, the show was on trauma and really what we call trauma-informed care, where we focus on trauma, not just about a discrete event, but about what's going on in our lives, what's happened ever since childhood. Really, it comes down to what do we carry in our hearts? And why is that important? It's important on different levels, not just because we want to heal ourselves, but 
because that is how we relate to others. You know, when we go into a relationship, it doesn't matter what relationship we go into. A lot of times you'll hear, uh, you know, relationship experts talk about how we bring baggage into a relationship and baggage has a very, very negative connotation. Um, you know, people say baggage, oh, it's because they, it almost sounds like that person's damaged. And really what it means, if we want to take a step back and think about it, is that baggage is that we've experienced life and sometimes our experiences leave us with wounds and scars. But the hard part with that is when we want to relate to other people, whether it be in friendship, whether it be as parents, whether it be in an intimate relationship and marriage, we can only relate with what we understand the world to be in terms of relationships. We can only relate in terms of our experience of the relationships we have had. And if relationships have not been positive, then that's what we're going to bring to the table. So this is important. I want to bring up a couple of announcements because these are important. So one of the reason that I'm, I'm doing the show, especially today, focusing on relationships, what I really want to focus on is our marriage relationships. We are going to have an upcoming conference on Saturday, May 7th, um, here at the historic Sacred Heart Chapel. Our address is uh, 381 West Center Avenue in Covina, California. Uh, that is going to be Marriage and Family Conference, May 7th, 2012. Uh, you, know, you can go on our website, virginmostpowerful.org, and register. It's $30 if you're single, $50 for a married couple to come. We're going to have some very interesting topics. The speakers are going to be myself, um, because this is a very near and dear topic to myself. I love talking about marriage and families. I love talking about the sacrament of marriage, because that's where I see a lot of the brokenness and a lot of the wounds coming out for all of us as Catholics. You know, marriage is the first sacrament that God instituted. <clears throat> Before all else, he created Adam and Eve, and he created a married couple, and he wanted to teach us that the family is at the core of our faith. Um, the, from the family is where we get holy people, where we get holy priests, holy nuns, and holy families, because we're raising children to follow God and to follow in the Catholic footsteps. So we are going to have that conference on marriage and family. Um, and then the other thing that's important is for those of you who weren't able to attend or did not register, uh, a couple weekends ago, we had our spiritual warfare conference. Uh, and if you weren't able to attend, you can still log on to our website and order the video recordings uh, from that conference. That it was a great, great conference. So many good topics that came up. And the reason I mention it is because in deliverance ministry, we see a lot of trauma and we see a lot of people come to us and feel that they are being influenced by the demonic, feel that they're being influenced by um, evil spirits, feel that there's a whole lot of negativity in their life. And while that can happen, a lot of the times when you start taking people's histories, you start to realize, you know, you have experienced a lot of trauma in your life, uh, whether it be emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, whatever you went through. And unfortunately, that's manifesting now, not because of evil entities, but because there's a lot of pain and a lot of pain in our hearts and we don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how, re how to relate to other people because of it. And we start to feel that there's something outside of ourselves that's influencing us. When in reality, sometimes, you know, we need to look into where we're at and make that distinction. Is it you know, is there a evil entity um, affecting me? Is it myself? Is it just that I haven't dealt with a lot of the pain that I carry? And how do I find the strength to do that? Am I able to uh, manage that? Am I able to handle that? Am I able to face that? It's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. 
But sometimes if we listen to the Spiritual Warfare Conference, we can understand really how do demonic influences affect us? And is that really what's going on? Or is there something that I need to pray about and realize that I need to fight and I need to overcome this, um, whether it be that I need to pray, that I need to go to therapy, that I need to talk to a friend, whatever it is that we need to process so that I can see myself in the light of Christ, meaning the trauma that we feel, the pain that we feel is because we see ourselves as damaged. And really that's not necessarily the case. God sees us as whole and God sees us as who we truly are, who he wants us to be. And our challenge is to rise to that and to make ourselves viewed by ourselves and others as God sees us. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about trauma because I have actually been getting messages from some of our listeners, a whole lot of listeners uh, lately, talking about, you know, fears and traumas and different things that they're experiencing, um, especially when it comes to relationships and marriage. The first thing that we have to understand is whatever we experience is going to be a part of us. So that's there. A lot of times people say, well, I'm a victim of this or I'm a victim of that. We can choose to have the victim mentality But our experiences, based on our experiences, we can also choose to not define ourselves by our experiences. You know, is that who we are or is that something that we experience and something that happened to us? I think it's very, very challenging because a lot of times people will say, you know, gosh, you experience this. Oh, you've been victimized. You are a victim of, you know, being uh, sexually assaulted. You're a victim of a burglary. You're a victim of being mugged in the street, something along those lines. And unfortunately, that puts us into a very weakened mental state if we start to say, I am a victim. Because now I see the world as a very, very scary place, which it can be. Um, But now I see it as as a place where I will always be victimized, meaning that I'm always in danger. There is never anything safe. And all of a sudden, there's nothing I can do about it. And I should just kind of lock myself up in my room and close my windows and never go out and just be scared and let everybody else know how scary the world is. I mentioned that because some people do experience that. Some people who have experienced, say, PTSD in wartime situations or something along those lines always come back and they say, gosh, I don't like to go out at night. I got to close my door. I got to make sure everything's locked by a certain amount of time. It's a scary world out there. And I think I agree that we do need to take our precautions, but we need to be realistic about what is out there in the world. However, we also have to be realistic that we are not powerless. And that's the challenge of the victim mentality. So can I be victimized? Sure. If we want to define victimization as somebody abusing somebody else or overpowering somebody else or taking away somebody's um, sense of of comfort or sense of safety, um, absolutely, somebody can be victimized. Does that mean that I am identified as a victim? I wouldn't go that far. I always tell people when they come to therapy, I say, you're not a victim. You're a human being, just like everybody else, and we have to go through this world. Sometimes good things happen. Sometimes bad things happen. And when bad things happen, we have to recognize that while it happened, it doesn't define who I am. It's a discrete event that I need to move forward from. Do I carry that with me? Probably, depending on how traumatic it is. I think if we experience trauma, it's important to recognize that, yes, that's going to be a part of who I am in the sense that I'm going to have memories of it. Every time I go back and think about it, I'm not going to feel good and I might be scared. And when I do um, approach other people, and this is where the challenging part comes in, and I see that we're almost close to the break, but this is where the challenging part comes in. This is where the core of our talk today is. Whatever I carry with me, I'm going to bring into other relationships. So if I want to have healthy friendships, if I want to have healthy dating relationships, if I want to have a healthy marriage, I better be aware of that 
because I need to go into that relationship being able to give and not just feeling like a victim of the world. More when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. So happy to be here. Um, Today we are talking on our show about trauma and marriage and relationships and what is it that we bring to our marriages. It is important to talk about because a lot of times we imagine getting married and we feel different things, really. I mean, I guess different people will feel different things when it comes to marriage. You know, we, we go into a marriage relationship and we have the societal view, we have the personal view, and we have the church view, the religious view. And those can be very, very different, you know? I mean, let's break those down a little bit and let's talk about those. Because when we go into a marriage, the societal view of marriage really, I think of, is more the wedding. You know, when, when we say, oh, somebody's going to get married, you know, we start to ask more wedding questions like, well, where are they going to get married? And, you know, what, how many guests are there going to be? And what's it going to be like? And what does this party look like? And the wedding is very, very important. It is a huge event in our lives. However, a lot of times we start to focus on the wedding and not the marriage. Because what we have to remember is that at a wedding, there is a marriage that's going to take place. It's very, very easy to focus on what did the, what did the dress look like? Um, what did the bridesmaids look like? And we focus on the aesthetics of the day without focusing on, you know, two people are making vows here to spend their life together. And that, while it is important, I mean, weddings are beautiful, but also understand that weddings have become a multi-billion dollar industry. When you look at, there's all these different magazines um, about brides and about the wedding dresses and about the venues and about what you're going to do. Sometimes the event becomes a whole separate issue from the actual marriage. And that can be very, very challenging because there's a lot of expectations, right? People, when they want to get married, say, oh, I better look good for my pictures, my wedding pictures. You want to capture that moment. But in reality, that's not exactly what the church teaches. The church teaches that the wedding is very important. Absolutely, because that's the start of something, not just an event. It's actually the beginning of a lifelong process, the beginning of a sacrament, the beginning of two people living their lives together in a relationship. And that's the focus that we need to have. So the societal view I always see is more the party, the destination. You know, people say, oh, it's going to be a destination wedding and they throw all this money uh, to make this big event. They invite friends and family and they want to make the event bigger than than the couple actually exchanging vows, it seems at times. Um, And if you feel differently, feel free to email me. Always feel free to email me and let me know your thoughts because I like to hear different points of view. Um, If you ever say, no, Dr. Sandoval, it's not true. You know, I I had a wedding and it was a lavish wedding and it was great and I'm still married. And the whole point of, of having a lavish wedding because of how important my husband was to me or my wife was to me, that's great. I think that's wonderful. And I think that that tells me that you have the sacramental view of the wedding and you built the, the, the wedding around, I'm sorry, I should say you had the sacramental view of the marriage and you built the wedding around that versus I think personally in society today, um, a lot of times we just have more the societal view of the event without understanding or really giving consideration to the fact that this is a lifelong commitment, um, where I have to be ready to give of myself to my spouse. 
So that's one of the things that's important is what's the societal view on marriage? Then I said, what's the personal view on marriage? And this is something that I think about, you know, in terms of the personal view on marriage, when somebody gets married, when we get married, when you know, any, any uh, married couples out there who are listening or anybody who's thinking about getting married, um, <clears throat> we have to understand that sometimes we get very happy because we think, gosh, I'm going to marry this person because they make me so happy. I feel so happy when I'm with them. I picture having a wonderful marriage together and we start to build on a fantasy. And what I mean by that is this, not that a happy marriage should be a fantasy, but that which brings happiness into the marriage might not always be realistic in our minds because all of a sudden we're going to get married and we're going to have this wedding and we're going to have this great event. And I feel so happy because this person makes me happy. And that's where we're kind of in dangerous ground now, because as I'm getting married, if my expectation is that my wife is going to make me happier, that my husband is going to make me happy, what's going to happen on the day that they're not perfect? What's going to happen on the day that they're there, but they're not exact that I don't feel that happiness anymore because I'm putting the weight of my happiness. I'm putting the expectation of my well-being on it's, I'm making it their responsibility is what I should say. You know, if I have that mentality and it happens all the time. I mean, that's kind of the most normal thing, right? Especially if we're in our teenage years, early twenties or whenever we're dating, gosh, I mean, why do people start dating or why do people go on relationship apps or, or really, or go internet apps? Because they say, I don't feel happy. I feel like I'm missing something in my life and I, I'm going to, I want to be in a relationship to fill the void. And that's fair. You know, part of the way God made us is, you know, Adam, God said, you know, none of these creatures are, are of his equivalent. And Adam is like, I need somebody who, who I can relate to. You know, I need that other half that's going to complete me. And God made a woman. And so God made us to complement each other and to fill that void for each other. So there's a great sense of that. However, a lot of people will not necessarily have the sacramental view. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. A lot of people might have the I'm going to be happy if I'm in a relationship because this person's going to make me happy. I think that there's a 50, 50, if you will, um, expectation because with the sacramental view and how we're made, yes, a relationship will make us feel happy if we go into it correctly. The hard part is if I go into a relationship expecting that this person's always going to make me happy, then I'm going to set myself up for failure or I'm going to, I could potentially set up the relationship for failure because the day I find out they're not perfect or the day I find out that, you know, they're not, I'm not making them happy because remember now we both went into this expectation of you're going to make me happy and, and I'm going to make you happy. Um, all of a sudden we have this responsibility where I have this expectation that you're going to make me happy. And if you're not making me happy, boy, you're not living up to your end of the bargain. That's a problem. That's a serious problem. And guess what? they're going to tell me the same thing on one day when I might not realize it and I'm not making them happy. They're going to say, Hey, the deal was that you were supposed to make me happy. And I think a lot of times that's our personal view of marriage or of a relationship. And then lastly, I think there's a sacramental view of the marriage. And I think the sacramental view of the marriage is this is where we have to look at what does the marriage really represent within the Catholic uh, viewpoint within the magisterium of the church as a sacrament. If we look at it as a sacrament, we're supposed to be a living representation of Christ for the world. And unique to all other sacraments, the marriage sacrament is that our relationship 
is the living representation of Christ. It's not like, you know, the priest, uh, uh, when we go to the Eucharist, the Eucharist is a sacrament, and all of a sudden the, the, the bread and the wine become the actual body and blood of Christ. And we know that. We go to the Eucharist and we have great reverence for that as a sacrament. And we go to the sacrament of confession because we know that we're going to heal our relationship with Christ. And we know that right there where our sins are going to be forgiven us and we're going to be free of our sins and we're going to have a wonderful relationship with Christ. Now, when it comes to marriage, do we view it in that way? Do I look at a married couple and say, wow, that's a sacrament. Do I see them with their children out in the park or out at the store or something and realize, wow, that is a living representation of Christ? Or do we have the societal view of, supposed to make each other you're supposed to make me happy i'm supposed to make you and and you know we're going to make each other happy here but because you're going to make me happy and then the other person says you're going to make me happy okay and then this is where we start to kind of falter and we forget the sacramental part because what's the difference the sacramental part is where i have to stop and realize am i going into the into this relationship hoping for the best for my partner without putting myself first that's the sacramental part that's the sacrificial part and that's what makes it part of the way that the church sees it because every sacrament is about giving not about taking so if we're going to look at this relationship of marriage or any relationship really i mean we can look at friendships we can look at just dating relationships even before we get married and that's probably the most important part to ask ourselves is this person do they have the same mentality that i have because if i'm going to come into this from a catholic point of view christ gave himself for us on the cross so that's where the sacrament comes in. That's where the sacrament of the Eucharist comes in, right? Every time we go to Mass, it's a representation of Calvary. It's a representation of Christ giving himself to the church. But when we look at that, we have to remember that the sacrament of marriage and the sacrament of communion are kind of one and the same, only manifested in different ways. Communion is God marrying us and us marrying God. We call Christ our, our bridegroom to our soul, and the soul is his bride, right? There is a marriage that's happening there. But notice that it's a sacrificial marriage where we say, I'm going to give myself entirely to you. And I'm, I have the expectation. I can't force it, but you're supposed to give yourself entirely to me. That's what we agreed to. But I got to keep up my end of the bargain. I don't know what's going to go on on your end. It's the same way that Christ approaches us, right? Christ says, I'm going to give myself entirely to you. I'm going to give myself on the cross. There's no questions asked. There's nothing held back. I'm going to give myself to you. And Christ says, I'm going to give you unconditional love. And notice that he says, I don't know if you're going to give that back to me. I'm going to do my part. I don't know if you're going to give that back to me. In fact, I know that you're not always going to be perfect. And that's where we're going to have the sacrament of confession. We're going to heal our relationship. There's going to be a way for us to heal, but it has to be through us recognizing that maybe we have not been there wholly for the other person. Now, it's impossible for Christ to not be there wholly for us in the sacrament of communion, the sacrament of confession, because that's the nature of God. He is perfect, he is all love, and he is always giving to us. We're not always there for him. If we're going to mirror that in the sacrament of marriage, well, nobody's perfect. And this is where it gets challenging if I say, this person's supposed to make me happy because I have to recognize that they are not perfect. And all of a sudden I have to start to think that the sacrament of marriage is not about this person making me happy. It's about what am I bringing to the table and do I have the best intentions and the best hopes for this other person that I can make them happy? I don't know if they're going to make me happy. I'm assuming I am happy when I am with them and that's great, but I got to bring my own happiness to the table. Am I there for them? That's really what the marriage is about. It's about two people being there for each other, um, saying, I'm going to give to each other, but 
in today's society, this is where I say the societal view is all about, it seems to be about the party, about these two people are going to make each other happy, but not necessarily in the sense of, hey, that person is going to give of themselves to make them happy. I think there's an expectation that, hey, you have to make me happy, and if I'm not happy, that's a problem. That's not the mentality that I got to bring into the marriage. It's not the mentality that the church asked me to bring into the marriage. The mentality is, hey, I'm going to be here and I'm going to look out for your well-being. And I don't know about myself. My sacrifice is I'm not going to put myself first. I'm going to put you first. I'm thinking and I'm hoping that you're doing the same. And that because there's parts of me that I can't see. I'm going to be blinded to certain things. And I hope that you can see those things and that you can help me on. That's how you're going to compliment me. And guess what? I'm going to do the same for you. There's probably parts of you that you can't see. There's parts of you that are vulnerable. There's parts of you that aren't perfect. There's parts of you that you don't want the world to know about, but I see that and I love you anyway. And in fact, I'm going to build on those parts. I'm going to help you in those parts that you can't see. I'm going to help you be stronger and I'm never going to hold them against you. That's the idea. Imagine if you had two people who came into the marriage with that mentality saying, I'm just going to love this person. I see what their weaknesses are and I'm never going to hold them against them. In fact, I'm going to love them more for them and I'm going to bring love into that marriage. That would be the perfect marriage if both people came in, the perfect sacramental marriage, I should say, if both people came in because there's no selfishness in it. It's all about giving. Now, why is this important to talk about as we follow up after last week's show on trauma? Because the question is, do I have the capacity to do that? Am I ready to be married? When I ask somebody to marry me as a man, when a woman accepts the, the, the marriage proposal from a man, are these two people ready because of their life experience to give each other love, to be able to see the, the perfections and imperfections in their, in their spouse and love them anyway? That's where the challenge comes in. We're going to talk about that when we come back from the break in terms of how do we bring or how do we overcome our own trauma so that we can have a healthy relationship and a healthy marriage. All right. Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Today, we are talking about marriage and relationships and what happens in reality, what happens in real life. Because what I mean by that is when we do get married, when we start a relationship over time, either the relationship's going to get stronger or the relationship's going to fall apart, right? We see that all the time. Um, we see that the rates of divorce are just skyrocketing. You know, people get married and, and all of a sudden they get divorced within months, within years. And it doesn't seem like marriage is anymore what it used to be or what it's supposed to be in terms of a lifelong relationship. Now, I'm not saying in the past when people didn't get divorced that marriages were perfect, um, but I think that there was more of an understanding of if you got married, it was for life. And if you got married, there was something to work on. It was something to to slow down, talk to each other about um, if there was a problem to, to really try to understand each other. Or, you know, sometimes you saw if, if you were ever to speak to a couple who'd been married for over 50 years or so and you say, how'd you do it? And you think, boy, I'm going to talk to them because they're going to tell me that their marriage was great and they lasted 50 years together. And believe it or not, sometimes you're going to talk to a couple like that and they're going to tell you it's been awful or boy, it's been hard. Oh, I just put up with them. Oh, this is my spouse. Good Lord. Gosh, yeah, I've been putting, you know, and it takes a lot of the sacrifice. It takes a lot of realizing this is who I chose to spend my life with, spend my time with and really get to know. So that's a very important part to consider when it comes to the marriage. But remember, they also chose the same thing for you. 
They also chose to spend their life and their time with you. And the question now that I have to ask as a therapist is, what are we each bringing to the table when we're getting married? Because if all I'm doing is going to get married and expecting you to make me happy, I've already kind of halfway failed there. I have to recognize, what am I bringing to the table? Am I pretty awesome? Well, of course, right? We all think that we're pretty awesome. Of course, they're going to want to marry me. I'm amazing, right? Gosh, how could they not want to marry me? Look at everything. The problem is that they don't recognize how awesome I am. And that's really the problem in the relationship. I think we say that to ourselves, but I think somewhere deep down in ourselves, we recognize that there's things that we're doing in our lives that we hold as private, that we think is just our interior life, our intimate life that nobody else knows about, even our spouse. And I think at times there's moments where we know we should be doing something for our spouse and we don't do it, where we know that this might help the marriage, but then we hold back for many, many reasons. One, it could just be as simple as that. I was too lazy to do that. I was too lazy to give my wife a compliment. I was too lazy to, to say something nice. I was too lazy to, um, I didn't want to take away from watching my TV show to get up and do the dishes because my wife was tired. You know, there's different things that we bring to the marriage. Well, listen to this. I mean, I find different articles and I'm honestly speaking, a lot of times we feel that we're unique in our, in our frustrations, but honestly speaking, the more, the more I hear about different couples and what their frustrations are, the more I realize we're human beings and our human nature is the same. And a lot of times our struggles are the same. I, I took this from an article and you can always uh, look, I'm going to put the link in on, on the show. The reason I took it from an article is because I've been getting a lot of uh, messages from some of our listeners and I don't want any listener to think, Oh my gosh, he is picking my story and, uh, and using it on the air. No, not at all. But what I do want our listeners to recognize is whatever you're sharing with me, you're not alone. You know, so I picked a, a particular article just that was on the internet because it's the same argument, the same concerns, the same fears, but listen to this. <clears throat> all right, let me read a few paragraphs. Uh, this was written by a lady, but honestly it goes both ways. The men sound the same. Um, she says, I'm not sure how I should be feeling about the things said between me and my husband. I swing, swing between feeling confused, enraged, ambivalent, distressed, sad, angry, frustrated, upset, embarrassed, and depressed. A lot of emotion there, right? So we are both near retirement age. Obviously this tells you that they've been married for a while. And that's why I like this, this, uh, article because it's a, a couple who's been married for a while. Um, <clears throat> they've been married for 14 years, but this is the important part. She says, we have been married for 14 years but estranged for about 10. We're going to come back to that because that's an important thing. Estranged for 10 years. I'm worn out. I don't know whether I love him anymore or whether he loves me. He claims he does, but when, but then talks to me with contempt and I feel confused. I care about him and I am confused as to why we are still together. I think he feels more or less the same as I do. One minute I feel with absolute certainty that my desire to divorce him is the right one. But when I catch sight of the man I used to love, I cling to this glimmer of hope. I have lived with this hope for most of our marriage. Some good stuff there and, and really some honest stuff. This is what I liked about this. It was just very honest. So listen to this. My husband is not a bad person. Mostly my angst is caused by his inability to relate to me, to empathize, to listen, to see me, to understand me, to know me. These are the things I hope for. I want him to be present and share his world with mine as if I'm leading... It's, and she says, it's as if I'm leading an invisible parallel life, a life he refuses to see. I think I've been going through a crisis of confidence for about a year or maybe four. I've been feeling pretty low and abandoned by him. I've consciously refused to accompany him at times because I can't bear the hypocrisy of pretending anymore. I don't feel like I'm living an authentic life. I'm going to stop there. There's a little bit more. 
Um, actually, hang on, let's back up. There's one more paragraph I do want to read. Uh, following a recent row, meaning an argument, he revealed that he sees me as someone who is judgmental of others, that I take unwanted umbrage to all and sundry, and that I am self-sabotaging my relationships with people and now with him, that if only I would stop being like this, then we would be happy. There's a lot to unravel here because the first thing I would ask is, what is each person bringing to the table? Let's back up a little bit. I mean, I just read three paragraphs, but they're very, very dense in terms of what's going on in this relationship that is being shared and in terms of what's what people might be experiencing out there in their own relationship. So one of the things that came up that was important is that she said, we are, we are both near retirement age, have been married for 14 years, but estranged for about 10. I'm worn out. This is important because a lot of people will argue, especially in today's society, gosh, you know, I don't need to get married to have a, uh, to get a marriage certificate to know that I'm married. Why can't I just live with my partner? Why can't I just live with, with a person I love and we're going to be married? We don't need a piece of paper to tell us that we're married. They're absolutely right. Technically speaking, they don't need a piece of paper. You're married by natural law, shall we say. And if after so many years <clears throat> you go to the church and you say, you know, gosh, we've been together for 10 years. We've got some kids. Uh, we just want to officially have the, our marriage blessed by the church. The church is going to say, yeah, well, by all intents and purposes, you already are married. You know, you've been living a married life. Um, the, the, we're going to formalize it. We're going to bless it. But you are married. The converse is true. You know, a lot of people don't think about this, but in reality, the sacrament of marriage is our action. It, it's a living, a living thing. It's how we're relating to each other as a married couple, right? This is why the church says, oh, sex is for marriage. It's because once you start having sex, you become a married couple. You've engaged in marriage. Um, the same thing in the converse is true. I thought this was important when she said, uh, you know, we've been estranged for about 10 years. And the reason I say that is because it's the same thing for divorce. You know, a lot of people feel like, oh, we haven't gotten a divorce. Uh, no, we haven't gotten, meaning that we have not talked to lawyers. We don't have official divorce papers. We haven't signed anything that says that we're divorced. But a lot of couples are already divorced. You don't need the paper to tell you you're divorced. A lot of couples are already divorced because they're no longer engaging in the marriage sacrament. They're no longer living like a married couple. They're estranged. How many couples say, oh, we have separate bedrooms? And not because, you know, my husband's snoring, so he sleeps over there, or I like to toss and turn, so I need my own bed. That's very different. You know, you can have separate bedrooms for different reasons, and, and that doesn't mean that your marriage is in shambles. Um, but how many people walk into the house and they stop speaking to their spouse? Or every time they speak to their house, it's their spouse, it's an argument. Or they don't have a kind word to say for each other. For all intents and purposes, they're already divorced. You know, there's no paper there, but they're living separate lives. Um, <clears throat> and that's something to consider, you know, is that where we're at in our relationship? So she feels that he speaks to, to her with contempt. Um, but listen to what she says. This was the next part of the paragraph that was important. She says <clears throat> that her angst is caused by his inability to relate to me, to empathize, to listen, to see me, to understand me, to know me. These are the things that I hope for. And that's where sometimes our problem lies. Like I said before, we're get stuck in this. You don't see me anymore. You don't listen to me. You don't understand me. And I think that this is where the sacrifice of marriage comes in. I can't wait for somebody to empathize with me, to listen to me, to understand me. I can't. When I'm married, if that's what I'm waiting for, the divorce is going to happen. I'm already going to, I'm, I'm, I'm already losing because that's not why I got married sacramentally. That might be why I got married in the eyes of society. Oh, you need someone who's going to, who's going to do, you know, do all this for you. Okay. Yes, I do. That's true. As a human being, that's what I need. And that's what I expected of my spouse. But before I can expect that, I have to stop and ask myself, am I doing the same for them? 
And sometimes we do it passively and that's not good enough. You know, it's, it's not good enough to do it passively. We cannot read each other's minds. It's terrible for one spouse to say, you know, I asked you how you were doing today, meaning that I wanted to listen to you, meaning that I would cared about you, um, but you didn't respond to that. No, I think sometimes we actually have to be completely simplistically, almost like five-year-old honest and say, um, let's sit down right now. I want to, I want to listen to how you're doing. I want to, how are you feeling today? What can I do for you to make your day better? That's, I don't hear her doing that for him because she says she's been feeling like this. And based on those feelings, she also said that she does not accompany him to places. Why? Because she says she can't stand the hypocrisy of pretending uh, anymore. I don't feel like I'm living an authentic life. Well, that's the problem, right? This is where I said, it's a problem if I get married thinking you're going to make me happy. That's not the sacramental marriage. Now, let's, uh, let's be honest here and have a footnote here. If you feel that you're in an abusive relationship, if your spouse is beating you, if you feel that they're constantly belittling you, if they're angering you, if you're afraid of them, if they're drinking all the time, if they're doing drugs, then no, that's not a healthy relationship. And you need to consider, do you need to stay in that relationship? Is that grounds for an annulment? Because then that person is no longer living in the marriage relationship and might not have the capacity to live in that marriage relationship. You should never stay in an abusive relationship. That's point number one. Um, but point number two here, this doesn't sound like it's necessarily an abusive relationship. It sounds like an, it's an emotionally broken relationship and where one person doesn't feel supported. So all of a sudden I don't feel supported. So I'm going to take away any support that you might feel. Well, guess what? Then the other person is going to be able to say the same thing. Well, I don't feel supported either. Right. And this is where that twist comes in. This is where we can't have a societal marriage. We cannot have an individual marriage. We have to have a sacramental marriage, meaning that there's going to be sacrifice because there's going to be some days where I'm not going to feel supported. But guess what? The irony of it all is in order to get that sense of support back, I have to give everything to my spouse that I feel I'm not getting. So let's go back and look at this. If she says, you know, he has an inability to relate to me, I got to ask myself, am I relating to my spouse? She's not, he's not empathizing with me. I got to ask myself, am I empathizing with my spouse? He's not listening to me. Have I listened to my spouse? He doesn't see me. Well, do I see my spouse? He doesn't understand me. He doesn't try to know me. Am I doing the same thing for them? She also said something. She said, there's a glimmer of hope. She was holding on because she could see the man that he was, but that's a problem. The man that he was is the man that he is. We might not uh, choose to see that anymore. Remember when we get married, we marry for life. We got to remember that we got to see that person every day for who they are that day, not just when we got married. We want to grow together and not apart. More when we come back from the break. All right. Welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Today we are talking about trauma. And really, actually, it's more of a follow-up to trauma. We're talking about marriage and what we're bringing to the marriage relationship. And we have to have a recognition that we are going to bring certain things that we don't like. We're going to bring our insecurities. We're going to bring our sense of um, feeling less than. We're going to feel, uh, we're going to bring our fears. And the problem with that is, and I say problem, it's not really a problem unless we find ourselves wanting our spouse or a significant other to heal us, that's where it becomes a problem. But the issue with that is that it makes us vulnerable, right? And if we can't marry somebody that we feel vulnerable with, that's going to be a problem. This is where I, you know, what am I going to tell my kids one day when they want to get married, when they're 
dating, when they're meeting other people, when they're courting, when they're deciding whether or not they're going to enter into a marriage relationship. You know, it's not easy because once you've been married and and if uh, both of you are not on the same page, um, you start to realize that it can be very challenging to be married if, if you're if your spouse doesn't see you for who they are. And that's one of the things that this lady's um, feeling frustrated about. Um, Let's finish this article, actually, because I think it's a good, let me read the last paragraph of of her concerns, um, because this is important to talk about when it comes to trauma. She says, over the years, I have examined myself in a particular, and in particular, whether his view of me is accurate. So she's worried about her husband's view of her. She doesn't feel like this is a good marriage anymore. While I have come home and moaned to him on occasion, as most people do, she says, <clears throat> he has blown up these few instances disproportionately, and I feel judged. I feel humiliated by him. I don't recognize myself as the person he is describing. I don't feel he supports me emotionally. In fact, I think it makes him very uncomfortable. I am emotionally supportive of him, or at least I was, but he doesn't share enough of his life, thoughts, and feelings for me to feel connected to him anymore. He wants me to change. I feel he wants to whitewash me with a big paintbrush and blank out the complexity and richness of sharing emotions, thoughts, desires, hopes, fears, and dreams. I feel devastated, frankly. We have been to couples counseling a few times, and I've also been on my own. We both want the other to change, but it seems neither of us can meet each other's criteria for having a relationship. And that's where she ends her, her concerns. You know, it's a, it's a sad state of affairs because if you notice, it sounds like it's now two people live in separate lives. You know, that's what it comes down to. She says she wonders whether her, his view of her is accurate. And my question, and this is true, honestly, I, this happens to be written from a woman's point of view. Um, it could be the same thing from a man's point of view. So I tell whoever wrote this, whether it's a man, the husband or the wife, I say, well, do you see them accurately? You know, because you want to be seen accurately, but do you see them accurately? Notice the next part. She says, I have come home and moaned to him on occasion. And by moan, I think she means, you know, she wants to share how she's feeling because that's what she talks about. She wants to share the complexity of her feelings of life thoughts. And she really wants him to see her as this deep, complex person who wants to share her emotions, thoughts, and desires. My question is, as you're coming home, do you have the best intention for your spouse? Because that could be a lot of, he might not be ready to hear all that. You know, it's emotionally taxing when you love somebody, their emotions are going to affect you. And if she comes home and she, and if it, whether it be the wife comes home or the husband comes home and comes home and just talks to the spouse and tells them, lays out all these emotions on them, that could be overwhelming for the other person. I got to ask myself, is my spouse ready to listen to all of this? Because this could be a lot. It could be a lot to take on. <clears throat> Am I considerate of my spouse? It sounds at this point that she's just focused on, you know, she, he's not paying attention to me. He's not connected to me. And it doesn't sound like she's making an effort to see the same thing on his side. And I think it's, it's true for, for him. I mean, he might be feeling that she's not paying attention to him, but he's not making that effort. What I usually would say is bring couples back to the question of why did you get married in the first place? Because all these issues weren't there when you first got married, right? What happens when we're dating? When we're dating, we feel so happy right? And we say that we feel infatuated, but the reality is, and we say that, you know, gosh, that infatuation goes away. And what's the infatuation part? The infatuation part is whatever you want, my dear, right? But the reality is that that might be um, an immature stage of the relationship, shall we say? And I don't mean that the relationship is immature. I just say it hasn't blossomed. It hasn't matured. I should say it's an early stage of the relationship. And we say, what do you want, my dear? What can I do for you? You want to go see that movie? Of course, I'm going to go see that movie. And the guy might be thinking, I hate those movies, but you know what? Just to be with her, 
I will go see that movie. And the woman might think the same, you know, she might say, gosh, he likes these tools or he likes to be at the hardware store. Well, I'm going to go get him a tool for his birthday or something because he really likes them. But gosh, I would never go into the hardware store, but I'm here to make him happy. And that's how we start the relationship. The problem is that as a relationship matures, somewhere along the lines, we kind of get tired of that. And we kind of start to forget that we need to continue that and ask ourselves, what can I do for my spouse? What makes him happy? You know, do we ever sit down? And if I want to be listened to, honestly speaking, the best approach to that would be to tell my spouse, hey, let's go on a date. And say, we're not dating anymore. Well, yeah, we actually are. Once we get married, um, what a marriage is, is just, do you want to go on the longest date of your life with me until we die? That's the way it's supposed to be. It's like we are on a very, very long date for many years. Somewhere along the lines, we lose that. We get comfortable, sadly, in thinking that the other person's fine, and now I'm going to think about myself. But we got to remind ourselves, why did I get married? Because I wanted to give myself to this person, because I wanted, uh, because this per- I felt so happy when I was with this person, and I wanted to do whatever they wanted. I wanted, if they were interested in something, I found interest in that. And that was part of the marriage. Notice that everything flips. Now it's, boy, they're not interested in anything that I'm interested in. How do I get that back? I tell my spouse, hey, we're going to go grab lunch or we're going to sit down. And when we sit down, it would be the worst thing in the world for me to say, we need to talk about what's wrong with our marriage. And we need to talk about how, you know, when I talk to you, you don't listen to me. That would be, that would already be a bad, a bad place to start. And I know a lot of therapists will say, well, use I statements. I feel this way when you, yeah, okay. I wouldn't even start there. I would honestly say, I would sit down and I would say to my spouse, if I feel, you know, if I'm, if I'm in a situation like this lady saying, I would sit down with my spouse and maybe even bring a notebook and say, I want to be here for you. And I want to know what your concerns are. What are your fears? Where do you see our marriage? I would actually sit down and say, you know, I don't even know if I've hurt you or not because we haven't talked much and I want to apologize if I have, because that's going to tell me right back to that first start of, you know, when we say our vows, when we say our marriage vows, we never say, you know, I'm going to marry you because you make me happy. Our marriage vows, you notice that when people write their marriage vows at that wedding, they say, you do make me happy and I'm here for you and I want to make you the happiest person. And I felt so connected to you and I feel so happy when I'm with you. Well, what happened? You know, it's like, I'm happy when I'm with you. And now all of a sudden I'm not happy with him with you. So I leave. No, that marriage is like, I want to be here for you. I'm going to accept you for who you are. This woman is no longer accepting this person for who he is, her husband for who he is. She's saying he's not supporting me. He's not sharing emotions or thoughts. Well, where is he at? Why isn't he? Has she sat down to ask him, what are your emotions? What are your thoughts right now? What's important to you in life? Remember, when we got married, we get married young. As time goes on, our interests are going to change. We're going to get older. We don't like the same things that we did when we were teenagers. We probably, in our, when you're 60 years old, you might not like the same things you liked when you were 20. You know, you got to ask your spouse, where, where have we changed? You know, for, for the better. How have you changed? What's, what's going on in your life? Because we do live separate interior lives. The idea of the marriage, though, is that there's no secrets between us, that we can share anything we want with each other, that we can laugh together again. But that's not going to happen if I'm waiting for my spouse to see me for who I am. Because the other challenging part is, do I want my spouse to read my mind? right? If I get there and I say, oh, he's not sharing emotions, thoughts, he he doesn't care about my thoughts, desires, hopes, fears, and dreams is what she says. You know, she doesn't, he doesn't care about this complexity. He wants to whitewash me. Well, how do you know that? Are you just assuming that? Have you, have you asked him where he's at? Has, has the spouse asked his wife where she's at? 
You know, are we, are we sharing this again? This is what, what's important even as, as, uh, we get older in life, but why don't we do that? Honestly speaking, it's for two reasons. I think one, we don't want to be vulnerable anymore. We're afraid of being vulnerable. Guess what? It doesn't matter how old you are. You don't want to be made fun of, or you don't want to be thought of as weak, or you don't want to be thought of as damaged. Remember earlier on in the show, I said, people have a baggage. And this is where the idea of what is our trauma? What have we experienced in life that we don't necessarily want to bring to the table? When we get married, we don't have that option. We need to share that with our spouse because that's going to help them do a couple things. One, it's going to help them understand us better, but it's going to help them see who we are. It's also going to help us to re- recognize that, you know, we're not perfect. And I think that that's a very good thing to recognize. It's a good thing to be vulnerable to each other because I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But guess what? We're not perfect together. And that's what makes us a perfect couple, that we're not perfect together, that we know each other's imperfections and we don't hold them against each other. That's the Christ relationship right there. Christ knows all of our imperfections. And that's why he gives us confession. He's like, I'm not going to hold that against you. Whatever your sins are, whatever your imperfections are, whatever your weaknesses are, I'm going to make them stronger. In fact, I'm going to make them so strong that first you're going to come to confession and we're going to wipe all that away. And two, you're going to join me because you're going to have communion. You're going to come to the Eucharist and we're going to be strong together. And I'm going to build you up. That's what it comes down to. That's where the marriage is. That's the marriage of the, of the bridegroom and the bride. You know, the, the, when we get married, uh, in, in, in our relationships and our sacramental marriage, it's about where are you vulnerable? Where am I vulnerable? Let's hold that up. Let's not use that against each other and let's make each other stronger that way. That's where the marriage comes in. If we've experienced trauma though, the question I would have is, what kind of trauma have you experienced? Is it emotional trauma? Is it physical trauma? Is it sexual trauma? Because it's going to take a toll in different parts of the relationship. If you've experienced emotional trauma, you might not feel safe sharing your feelings with someone else. And in fact, you might want them to read your mind. You don't want to say anything. You don't want to share anything. And you expect them to know. And that can be a very dangerous place because it's not fair. It's not fair to the other person. We can't know what the other person's experiencing or feeling. This is where communication t- makes a uh, I should say honest, vulnerable communication has to take priority in the marriage. There's no secrets. That's why with Christ, there's a sacrament of confession. Christ doesn't see confession as, let me tell, let me see what you've done wrong so I can condemn you. He's saying, let's have a very honest communication about your vulnerabilities so that we can be strong together. Notice that when we go to the sacrament of confession, Christ isn't saying you're going to go to hell. He's saying, I forgive you. That's the whole point. I think as spouses, it's not that I need to forgive my spouse for their past, for the traumas that they've experienced, but sometimes a spouse needs to feel reassured. Say, look, I've gone through this. Gosh, maybe when I was younger, I was raped and I don't know what to do about that. As a spouse, what would I tell my wife about that? Would I say, oh my gosh, you're damaged goods? Or would I say, I see you for who you are and I'm sorry you went through that. And I want to hold you and I want to move forward together. And that's what the conversation should sound like, no matter what the person's experience. What if somebody says, gosh, my parents were very abusive. You know, what if the husband tells the wife, my parents were very abusive. I don't know. I always feel uh, incomplete. I feel like I don't do anything right. And she says, you know what? You've done so many things right. I have faith in you. I know that you can do things right. That's going to give the person wings. That's going to give them air beneath their wings. And that's going to make them feel like, wow, this person sees me. They have faith in me. And I think that that's what we really need to do for each other as spouses, regardless of any trauma we've been through, regardless of what, where we've been, I need to look at the other person, not wait for them to look at my emotions, not wait for them to look at what's going on in my desires, hopes, and fears. But let me look at what their desires, hopes, and fears are and hold them up and give them a sense that I have faith in you. Once we have faith in each other as spouses, if we both believe that we can move forward and I believe that you're going to be your best and I feel that you believe I'm going to be my best, 
then that's where we have a great marriage. That's where we're going to have that support. But I can't wait for my spouse to see that in me. If I am, if I do, uh, I might never get there. I think I need to take that first step and say, hey, where are you at? Let's make our marriage better and let's bring it to Christ. When we come back next week, if you stay tuned, we're going to talk about intimacy and how all this trauma can affect our intimate life in marriage. See you next week here on The Dr. Sandoval.